0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Sportbox. As recession fears hit global markets, political instability strikes in the UK and the global energy crisis continues. We're live from Downing Street, Dusseldorf, And CNBC headquarters. Here are your headlines today. Bond markets flash yet another recession signal with the two and ten year Treasury yields briefly inverting for the third time this year. Oil steadies after crashing more than 10% amid fears of a global economic slowdown.
0: UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson coming under fresh pressure after two key cabinet ministers resign following a series of government scandals forcing Sterling to its lowest level since March 2020. And the rollercoaster for Uniper's share price continues. Shares closing nearly 10% lower as German media now reports they think the government could take as much as a 25% stake to keep the German gas company alive as it's roiled by reduction in flow of Russian energy.
1: And Norway's government steps in to break a strike in the crucial oil and gas sector, easing pressure on tight European supplies amid an ongoing Russian drawdown. on the market in session yesterday, um, bond markets, commodity markets, and oil. So let's just take stock of where we've traveled on some of these major markets. I mean, when we saw on uh, effectively uh, on the markets, you could see the two, the 10 year Treasury yield inverting. We've seen this show before, but it is a clear signal of recession fears in the market. Now, third time this year we've been in that sort of territory, uh, but the market uh, clearly worried about the pace of tightening by the Fed, that the very aggressive action required to tackle inflation. Could tip the US economy into recession. So they're flipping between uh, the yield on the short versus the long end of the curve, always indicative of that fear that is being priced into the bond markets. Let's peel away from the board and take a look at what we're seeing on WTI and Brent. Also, huge moves, 9.5% of the downside on Brent. Also, some very wild forecasts out there that we were talking about yesterday. Citi giving us a reassessment that prices could plunge below $70 a barrel if we see a recession that's completely the opposite uh, versus very tight supply situation the market has been fixated on that has driven prices higher and I think for a lot of technical watchers the fact that we had such a huge fall in the price yesterday just dashing expectations of this one-way trade to the upside but uh, regrouping this morning you can see that uh, also push back again around tight supplies Goldman Sachs out there in the market saying that the selling was uh, effectively overdone given the deficit in supply and you can see the bounce 1.5 up on Brent, and uh, we've got at this point uh, a bounce almost to the, the 105 handle, to 104.35 where we're sitting, and we're still above 100 now on WTI. So regrouping thanks to that 1% pop huge moves too on foreign exchange markets. We are seeing these recession fears growing. It is really coming through from uh, concerns around the energy situation. China adding another layer on top, and you saw that on the oil price yesterday, with fresh clusters of COVID and concerns about a switch, a U-turn away from this reopening phase back into some form of lockdowns across some major cities. And on foreign exchange markets, let's just take stock. You can see dollar yuan on the back foot uh, there this morning. Uh, The other big ones, dollar declining versus... The safe haven japanese yen and that is telling you a story about risk aversion again from the bond markets to foreign exchange the yen the supported today and you can see a half of a percent move higher versus the greenback sterling Impacted by this huge story in the headlines here, breaking late day yesterday. uh, Two key cabinet resignations, question marks over whether Boris Johnson can survive this one. And even if there is a leadership change, some are saying, well, that could even be positive for pound. You've got this concern about this huge slowdown coming for the UK economy and how it is positioned versus other major economies. And that is a a huge challenge getting sterling higher from this point. But we are now traveling at the lowest levels this year, 119.30, roughly where we're trading. That is a drop. Two tenths of a percent, and euro dollar also suffering a big setback. Uh, The extent of the falls: 102 the handle. We started at the week at 104. We have now dropped, as you can see, on that currency trade, and it is two tenths down at this early stage. It is a fairly significant decline. Two decade uh, low is what we've got on this trade uh, that we are witnessing. Let's get to uh, the Asian markets, and we can see how they're performing in this global context. Uh, China, of course, uh, a big story in the region. J.P. Ong joins us with more on the trading action there. Good morning to you.
2: Good morning, Karen. And yes, we are seeing some tremors and worries on a wobbly Wednesday here in Asia, and it seems we might be set to close broadly in the red. You did touch on those recessionary concerns after the U.S. Treasury curve broadly uh, briefly inverted overnight and this did spark concerns about a recession. In fact, this was sort of bolstered at least a slowdown by the ASEAN Macro Research Office, which did release a report where they downgraded the outlook for the ASEAN plus 3 economic region in terms of GDP outlook. ASEAN plus 3 means Southeast Asia plus China, Japan, and South Korea, and they are expecting that GDP for this area will only grow by 4.3 that's lower than their April forecast where they expected the, the regional economy to grow by 4.6 percent. But a lot of the slowdown is not going to come from Southeast Asia. In fact, most of it coming from China, which is now expected to grow by just 4.8 percent down from 5.2 percent, and Japan only growing by 1.8 percent on their outlook, down significantly from the previous forecast of 2.9 percent. So a recession, maybe not yet, but a slowdown definitely and mostly coming from the major economic and industrial engines in, in Asia, that's China, Japan and South Korea. We are seeing this also impacting Chinese markets today and we did talk about the rising COVID-19 cases on the eastern part of China. Shanghai, Xi'an and even Macau seeing rising cases now casting a big question as to whether or not we might see the resumption of COVID lockdowns in China and COVID restrictions that could slow down Asia's largest economy. This has happened impacting Sentiment out in mainland China, Shenzhen, Shanghai, both down by about one and three-tenths of a percent. We are seeing the Hang Seng Index also falling by 1.8 percent this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Japan also taking it on the chin today, down by 1.2 percent. Utilities and energy players in Japan also just a little bit concerned today after comments from uh, from uh, from Russian um, Minister Lavrov, where he said that they, there could be a cut or a disruption in supplies of oil and gas to Japan, and this worrying the Nikkei 225, and out in Tokyo, the South Korean Kospi, the ASX 200, all the way even to the TAI-X in uh, in Taipei, ouch! down by about 2.4% so far this Wednesday afternoon. Broadly, we want to take a look at how currencies in the region are also doing, and we're seeing that most of them are actually taking just a little bit of strength, sans the Australian dollar, which continues to soften against the greenback today. Perhaps uh, they're just putting on a brave face for the most part. I do want to briefly touch on commodities today and Malaysian CPO fuel futures. This is palm oil, continues to decline. Well, as Brent crude and WTI continue to rise, palm oil futures in Malaysia continue to decline, also adding more volatility to this part of the key commodity space, at least in the food commodity space in Malaysia so far, and something that palm oil growers in that country will not be looking at very favourably. Karen, back to you.
1: JP, thank you so much for bringing us an update there. Let's circle back to one of the big stories here. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's premiership is on the brink after Chancellor Rishi Sunak and Health Secretary Sajid Javid resigned within minutes of each other, sparing a wave of further departures from the government throughout the night. The resignations came amid another scandal over Johnson's honesty and after a bruising confidence vote and the loss of two key by-elections in just the last month. Johnson is uh, set to work uh, on an emergency reshuffle. He's put Steve Barclay in the role of health secretary and promoted Nadhim Zahawi to chancellor. Uh, Let's get out to Steve. He joins us more with more from Downing Street. Steve, we just saw fireworks last night at Downing Street. Uh, So far, the strategy from Johnson is to try and reshuffle his way out of this with key Cabinet posts, but it may not be that simple.
0: No, absolutely not, Karen. And there's a whole host of scenarios that can happen now. But let's just take stock of what was an extraordinary day here in Whitehall and Westminster yesterday, where, of course, yesterday morning we saw ministers going out saying that the Prime Minister was unaware uh, of the allegations that started all this crisis, this current burst of crisis as well, with Chris Pincher, who is a former Deputy Chief Whip, having to resign and then losing the whip uh, at the start of this month because of allegations against him uh, about uh, groping two men at a party, which then resurfaced older allegations that the Prime Minister shouldn't have uh, elected his man to another government post after other allegations in 2019. Now, Ministers yesterday morning, uh, as late as yesterday morning, were saying the Prime Minister was unaware of those allegations when he was Foreign Secretary in 2019. Uh, But then came the intervention of a former uh, head of the civil service at the Foreign Office, that is uh, Lord Macdonald, who turned around and said, well, actually, the government was." very specifically aware of these allegations and specifically Boris Johnson was aware of those and then of course uh, that led to uh, a bit of panic stations at number 10 Downing Street behind me with the uh, government uh, getting Boris Johnson out in front of camera to a, a pool uh, interview uh, basically saying he apologised for these decisions and in fact he'd forgotten that, uh, that the allegations had been made about against Mr Pincher. and then we saw the dramatic action around about 6pm yesterday where in quick succession the resignation uh, of Sajid Javid, uh, and then Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid saying, it's clear to me the situation will not change under your leadership, Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak, of course, one of the absolutely key ministers, the Chancellor of well over the crisis of the last couple of years, has said, I have reluctantly come to the conclusion that we cannot continue on like this. And as you say, Karen, there were other resignations as well. Alex Chalk uh, quit around about 11pm last night. He is the Solicitor General. Uh, and then we saw some uh, private parliamentary secretaries. Uh, three of those were resigning, the vice-chair of the Conservative Party resigned, and even the trade envoy to Morocco as well. So a lot of lower-level resignations as well. But Boris Johnson has survived a whole host of crises so far this year, uh, including so far the Sue Gray report on the 25th of May, uh, a confidence vote which went very, very badly on the 6th of June. On the 23rd of June, we saw those devastating Wakefield and uh, Tiverton and uh, Honiton by-elections as well, Uh, and now, of course, in the last few days, these allegations about what the foreign secretary and now prime minister did or didn't know now in terms of the scenarios going forward this can go many many ways as far as boris johnson is concerned as you say he's reshuffling he's putting loyalists in including Nadine zahawi uh, as the new chancellor the Exchequer at number 11 downing street just next to number 10 there uh, and indeed steve barkley who amongst other things is a former brexit secretary who we spoke to uh, of course uh, when he was in that role uh, out in ambrosetti as well so he's put loyalists in uh, other loyalists including priti patel uh, the Home Secretary, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, Dominic Raab, the likes of Nadine Doris, uh, Jacob uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, unexpectedly, really, I guess. not unexpectedly, all backing the Prime Minister, as you would expect. But it's a question of what happens now amongst his own party, amongst the backbenchers, and whether uh, there will be rule changes, for instance, in the 1922 committee, which will allow another challenge to his leadership, another confidence vote within the next 11 months. Of course, we had one uh, a month ago that went pretty badly, but he managed to scrape through uh, because of government support there as well. So uh, will he get the tap on the shoulder from the little grey men? Uh, Will there be uh, a change to the rules, which means he can have another confidence? vote against him uh, will more ministers resign or will he make it to the summer recess which is uh, in late july as well all these scenarios still on the table
1: steve can i just bring up uh, what happens if boris does leave whether he he walks which seems unlikely or whether he is pushed because we have a country that is battling a a cost of living crisis that's facing economic slowdown and of course pivotal in the war in ukraine what sort of shape is the government in and potentially any future leader to, to lead the country from here
0: um, well, it's hard to say. I mean, you've got to remember the Conservatives still have, despite the fact that they've had a, an enormous wobble on the recent by-elections, they still have a huge majority uh, in Parliament. So, actually, if there were a new leader and they were able to get the party uh, coalescing around them as well and have a more of a unifying government rather than a polarising government, actually there's no reason why this government can't potentially do uh, what it wants to do, and that is uh, see out this term, this Parliament as well. Of course, Sakir Starmer yeah, has been talking you're, you're, about the need for a general election to go out to the people, but that isn't strictly necessary as well. Uh, And a new Prime Minister, whoever that may well be, if there were to be uh, an election process within the Conservative Party, could well become a unifying force. So it's very difficult to tell what could happen next, Karen, uh, if indeed we may see uh, a stabilisation of certain, we may see uh, a Prime Minister come in who would have a different attitude to spending, to the fiscal rules as well. So it it all remains to be uh, seen. But if... One thing that has to be said is that if there is a new prime minister to be elected as well, it could be a long and torturous process lasting several months as well, which would leave potentially the government and the country in some form of paralysis over that period
1: a couple of ways to look at the situation, it feels. I mean, the character of the Prime Minister is in question here. The the criminal fine around Partygate and, of course, the latest allegations around this appointment that uh, has been seen as a very negative appointment lately around Pinship. But also, if you think you consider that there is still this uh, view that the Prime Minister did bring that majority to the government, that the the government was hugely successful at the last election, which side do you take? One of integrity, that uh, there have been too many mistakes, here, or the second that this is self-harm for the Conservative government.
0: Um, well, that's a very good question, Cam. What is self-harm for the government? Uh, electing someone who is was very electable and led the so Conservatives to a, a very strong majority in the last election, or actually a man who just lost two devastating by-elections? Let me remind you about those by-elections, because they were extraordinarily strong seats. So uh, Tiverton and Huntington, down in the southwest of this country, down in Devon, has been a strong Conservative seat for a very long time. It had a 24,000 seat majority overturned by the Liberal Democrats in the Wakefield by-election just over a month or so ago. That is absolutely devastating for a lot of Conservatives who think now that their heartland seats, their traditional Conservative seats uh, will potentially be lost. And then there was Wakefield as well, which was equally devastating, which had a 23,000 vote majority for the Conservatives. But what is interesting, it's one of these so-called red wall seats. It's the kind of seat actually, that the Conservatives surprisingly took from Labour uh, on the promise of levelling up, on the promise uh, of changing the math about where the wealth is in the United Kingdom from perhaps just the southeast and the South and London uh, to the Northern uh, areas as well, which have been traditionally more underprivileged as well. So there was a promise there and there was a hope and an expectation that, that had a, a, a tide uh, of Red Wall seats going to the Conservatives. Now if those Red Wall seats are looking as vulnerable as many of the pollsters think they they are, then is Boris Johnson that talisman who carried the Tories to such a great victory just a couple of years ago? The answer potentially is no.
1: Steve, terrific coverage and we're looking forward to more throughout the course of the morning and any future developments as well. So there's plenty of pressure clearly on the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. If you want to read about this, you can head to cnbc.com for further analysis. And developing events in the crypto space this morning, Voyager Digital, one company that over the 4th of July long weekend was effectively suspending trading deposits and withdrawals. It uh, had had mentioned that uh, this was a decision so it could explore some strategic alternatives here with interested parties. But the news just crossing the wires now. The company has filed voluntary petitions for Chapter 11 protection to implement restructuring. It's approximately 1.3 billion of crypto assets on the platform, more than 350 million in cash held in FBO account for customers. continues to evaluate all strategic alternatives to maximise value for shareholders. It says it intends to pay its employees in the usual manner. Also, to continue their primary benefits and uh, certain customer programmes without disruption – it has listed uh, estimated assets and estimated liabilities in the range of 1 billion to 10 billion according to the court filing and again if you take a look at some of the numbers has over 110 million of cash and owned crypto assets on hand which will provide liquidity to support day-to-day operations Customers with crypto in the account will receive proceeds from 3AC Recovery, common shares in newly organised company, Voyager tokens. It remains to be seen whether those customers will be happy with that. Uh, Customers with US dollar deposits in their account will receive access to those funds after reconciliation and fraud prevention process is conducted. So... Uncertainty that has uh, led to some form of a conclusion here for some of those uh, crypto customers, but I don't think that is going to help sentiment so much in the industry where you've seen gated funds. Uh, some are, I are at this stage just hoping for some money back, but uh, clearly it is a complete uh, change from that narrative of cryptocurrencies going up and huge returns that some had hoped from the sector. Coming up on the show, Treasury yields flash a recession signal, but U.S. equities shrug off concerns late in the session. We'll have more next. We've been talking about big moves on the markets, commodities in particular oil yesterday and of course uh, the inversion on the two and 10 year years, but uh, by no means boring at the US equity markets as well. We saw a little bit of uh, a patch of green on the Dow by the finish down 129 points, but the market did have to claw back. 600 points to close in that territory so it was quite a rollercoaster ride and of course a snapback for technology stocks 1.7 plus percent on the Nasdaq underlying that big momentum names ones that had sold off aggressively the ARK Innovation Fund for instance up 9 percent so a ton of short covering impacting some of these big trades on the market. Uh, What we've got later on today will be uh, the uh, Fed minutes that'll be closely watched one of the big ticket items just to see how hawkish the Fed is at this point so there may be some impact on futures don't forget that's a bit of a precursor to what we're seeing on the non fund payrolls later this week. So futures at this stage somewhat cautious at this hour. We are trading down almost 60 points so far on Dow Jones futures. Let's get some thoughts on the markets. Ben Emons joins us, a Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy, Medley Global Advisors. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, clearly huge developments in the UK this morning. If I can start with that before I come back to the US markets. Uh, what do you make of the chances of survival of Boris Johnson this time and what it means for UK stocks?
3: Yes, good morning. Um, it certainly sounds like this paralysis, as your colleague was outlining in, in the previous sect- uh, segment, you know, there's so much uncertainty about how it will exactly play out. But I do think that the way the markets responded, initially somewhat negative in Sterling and you know UK yield yields fell, for example, Sterling sold off, but then they recovered. And I, I think that does indicate that as much as there's uncertainty surrounding the cabinet and Prime Minister Johnson's position, perhaps, it's not fallen apart. That he does still have support, and I think that makes uh, that's key for markets. As long as that isn't the case, we're not going to see, by the way, any snap elections either. But right? we would have to elect a new leader for that in order to do so. So the markets, I think, take some comfort in we're going to enter a period of uncertainty. But that uncertainty makes it also somewhat of a status quo. Nothing will change in the economy or with policy. Therefore not to not to be worried immediately.
1: Ben, you pointed out uh, that uh, Rishi Sinek was worried about some of the, the fiscal interventions, that that was a point of difference with Johnson here. And as we talk about recessions, clearly government stimulus and uh, government uh, policy is quite key. Can you just talk us through that and the ramifications for the UK and beyond?
3: Now, that is certainly an, uh, a, a possibility that there will be a shift in fiscal policy to a, a much more conservative policy, because that was clearly the difference between uh, Prime Minister Johnson and and, and the Chancellor, uh, Sunak, because, you know, each want to have a good economy, but clearly the belt has to be uh, maybe, again, tightened because of too much spending during the pandemic, and now the pandemic is fading, a change has to happen. So how this will happen, though, is not exactly clear. Uh, you know, this new Chancellor may side with the, with the Prime Minister, but Immediately putting these restrictive measures in place in fiscal policy means that first, you have to get through a very uncertain period of maintaining the cabinet and its position. But if you do, then we do think that there will be a change in fiscal policy to a more restrictive conservative, more austerity, so to speak. Um, you know, and that will be in the time of, of yeah, economic uh, recession. I see the UK economy is very challenged at this moment, likely put the economy even more under pressure and that that is something that unfortunately we we'll have to live with then. and as in, you know, markets will have to discount that this will be eventually be a combination of somewhat higher inflation and really weak economy or in recession.
1: I use the word beyond a moment ago because recession fears are everywhere. We saw it across the European stock markets yesterday, concerns around energy still. We saw it in commodities, a big drop in oil prices, the inversion of the yield curve on bond markets. To what point do you think investors need to reassess their recession positioning at this stage?
3: I think many investors are already doing it at this moment. And it's a bit of a different recession, quote unquote, if you will, in terms of how we come out of the pandemic after this major boost everywhere and economies reopening, lots of vibrant activity, and then having to slow that all down for the sake of getting inflation under control, and that's I think a recession where we may not see too much unemployment initially because the labor markets everywhere so tight. So that's one element I think is different. And the other part is that we do deal with significant energy price pressures. As much as oil prices came down today on recession fears, it's just that fears. The, you know the oil market subs are really tight, so we do have a picture of inflation driven by energy that's going to likely stay elevated. So if you take that together, you do are in a strategy where you you try to reposition on a recession that may eventually benefit, let's say, high growth type stocks, high growth names, as we say in the U.S. On the other hand, there's inflation still that's not coming down so quickly. So we have to still look at the commodity side of the market too, that has recently come off, may offer now new opportunity
1: about how wide the forecasts were on the oil price at 65 odd dollars if there's a recession according to city 380 if uh, russia takes retaliatory action and cuts off more oil to the global market than we're at 380 i mean it's so wide but it was interesting to see the market snapping back to the the lower side for the first time in a long time what does that mean though if you're positioning here to use the lower point as an entry point if you've not got enough commodities to hedge against inflation
3: now, I think you put it just exactly right. It's it's maybe that entry point there because you know, there's a difference between one having futures markets discount a future scenario of, of recession, and that may well be true, but then we have what we say the physical markets where the actual commodities are traded, and they are so tight because of such a limited inventory and production and capacity and refinery and, and so forth that... That is a disconnect, I think, that will be, again, reconciled. The futures market will will find some sort of bottoming out here and and settle higher. It would not be very likely to see a major collapse in oil or commodity prices at this point, even though there's some level of recession risk now at this moment, at least that's what financial markets are trying to discount. The actual recession, however, the official start of it is not there, it's not confirmed. So that too is, I think, a disconnect, which I think will eventually benefit commodity markets regaining some footing.
1: Ben, can I also ask you about the technology trade yesterday? It felt like there was plenty of intraday volatility, we saw it on the Dow, but particularly on the NASDAQ, with uh, some buying back of those uh, beaten up uh, tech names. What are you doing with that part of the market at this stage? Uh, Is it in the price already? Is it worth taking a look at some of these stocks for the longer term?
3: There's a fair bit of attention to that uh, because if we, if, if we are in an environment where it becomes clear that the recession may eventually happen, uh, that some, ironically, a, a certainty for that sector of the market you described is really beaten down, is really discounted, a major deceleration of earnings growth and any kind of high growth environment, that a, a recession in the future will actually be a, a moment for those stocks to revive because ultimately, a recession means that if it's there, there will be a future recovery, and and so I think that dynamic is maybe currently being contemplated in markets carefully, but it, te- But it's it is happening. On the other hand, as I described, you you have this commodity dynamic that I don't think changes so easily. So I think it's those two sides, right, that are directly in play with one another. I think the, the technology sector has opportunity to recover, but it is predicated on. Interestingly, that a recession becomes a reality, which then means a future recovery follows. And that's where those stocks will, will really
0: rally on. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.